are listening to the Unsung Lung Podcast, presented by Alberta Lung. Happy New Year, everyone. Whenever you listen to this episode, it'll be 2024 as we're dropping the show on the morning of New Year's Day. So all the best to you and yours in this new year, and I wish you all the best in lung health and overall health in the year to come. We have a special treat for you today as I have two expert doctors on the show to talk about everything from asthma to allergies to vaping to the lung microbiome. But first, I'd just like to mention an amazing initiative at Alberta Lung. Did you know that our province's lung health charity focuses on research in addition to donations and education? At Alberta Lung, we have always put major stock in research, and we love supporting local physicians and researchers doing the work they need to do to help those with lung disease. Take our 2022 Top Lung Health Research Grant winners. Our first was Dr. Maria Castro-Cotazal from the University of Alberta, who is using her funding to study long-term non-invasive ventilation in children. It is a prospective longitudinal study of patient and family reported outcomes. And our other Top Lung Health Research Grant went to Dr. Tatiana Makanova. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, She is also at the University of Alberta. Dr. Tatiana is studying treatment gaps in COPD and how a collaborative care model can help evidence-based pharmacotherapy. These two amazing studies are just a few of the research projects that Alberta Lung has helped fund throughout the years, and we will continue to keep developing resources through research that we support. And actually, today is another instance of research that we are supporting. So on to today's show. On this episode, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of stuff. We'll discuss the basic mechanisms underlying obstructive lung diseases like asthma. We'll also talk about the lung's microbiome and how this all relates to vaping. Our two guests are Drs. Harry Vliegoftis and Dr. Paul Forsyth. Dr. Vliegoftis focuses on his clinical activity on immunology, asthma, and allergies. He is a professor at the University of Alberta and teaches a range of different topics in relation to pulmonary medicine. Dr. Forsyth is the lab director at the Forsyth Lab, which focuses on the lungs, brain, and microbiome. Don't worry, we'll get into what the lungs microbiome is in the interview. Uh, he, He explains what it is and why it is so important. Dr. Forsyth has a PhD in, okay, I got to slow down to get this one right, immunopharmacology, immunopharmacology, there we go, and joined the faculty uh, of the University of Alberta as the chair in asthma and obstructive lung disease in July 2021. I'll be asking each physician about their own particular interests and a new one that has brought them together with our charity. 
Together with Alberta Lung, Dr. Vliagoftis and Dr. Forsyth are studying the effects of vaping on asthma by using feedback from asthma patients in Alberta Lung's support group and as well as our Breathe Smart program. I believe we spoke about Breathe Smart before, but in case we haven't or you've forgotten, Breathe Smart is Alberta Lung's educational program where we go into schools and teach kids about the importance of lung health. I'll be asking our guests about their new study and how it will eventually benefit the lung health community in Alberta. So with that, I'll send us through to my interview with Dr. Harry Vliagoftis and Dr. Paul Forsythe. I am joined today by two of the leading thinkers and physicians studying lung health in Alberta. So welcome to the show, Dr. Paul Forsythe and Dr. Harry Vliagoftis. I'll start with you, Dr. Vliagoftis, since you're in Greece right now, and I am very curious to know how it is over there. So how is it in Greece right now? How's the weather? How's the, how's everything? (laughs) It's very nice. You know, it's a little warmer than Alberta, but otherwise, no big differences. It's (laughs) here also, (laughs) coming up. (laughs) What, What part of Greece are you in right now? I'm in a city called Thessaloniki. It's on the north part in Greece, on the coast on the north part of Greece. It's the second largest city in Greece. Amazing. That That's incredible. My parents were in Greece a few years ago, and I was so jealous. So I know that's on my travel bucket list for sure. So aside from travel, we, we, that, that's a different podcast. I, I'd love to know about what, about what you focus uh, on in your research and maybe what your favorite topics are to teach at the University of Alberta. So we'll just get a little bit of a background on who you are as a researcher. Well, I'm a clinician scientist at the University of Alberta. I work at the Division of Pulmonary Medicine, so lung is a big part of what we do. Myself, I'm a clinical immunologist and allergist. So clinically, I see people with immune problems and people that have allergies, you know, allergies to pollens or to foods or all these kind of different things. And my research is more on different aspects of immunology, mostly immunology of the lung. And we focus a lot on asthma, as this is one of our main areas of kind of lung disease that has an immune background, why you develop the disease. And we work also in a few other areas, including more recently about effects of vaping and other kind of noxious stimuli that we might inhale into our lungs and what kind of damage do they cause to our lungs. Yeah, very interesting. So uh, just very generally, I want to go back to basics because I don't even think I could tell you the definition of what immunology is. Can, Can you give our listeners what immunology is like at its base? So immunology deals with our immune system, and the main function of our immune system is to protect us from the external environment, especially from infections, whether it's bacteria, viruses, and all these kind of things. So clinically, I see people that have problems with their immune system, so they are not safe to be around bacteria or viruses, so they are very susceptible to infections. So we see people that their immune system doesn't work right, and we have to do different ways to help their immune system fight external stimuli. And then the immune system, in addition to protecting us from infection, it's really almost orchestrates the function of a lot of our systems. You know, a lot of our, most of what's going on in a living organism, including the lungs. So it kind of 
orchestrates how the lung can stay healthy when it comes in contact with all this noxious stimuli, whether it's particles that we inhale or different gases from around us. And when the immune system is dysregulated, a lot of diseases develop. And whether it's asthma, almost the same thing for COPD, a lot of other diseases like fibrotic diseases, they all have something to do with a kind of imbalance of the immune system at some point and then development of disease in the lung. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and you also mentioned that you deal with allergies a lot. I, I know quite a bit about them. I uh, I took allergy shots. Is that something you deal with on a day-to-day basis? You prescribe people allergy shots or what? Is, what is your what does your work with allergies look like? Yeah, we, we see people with allergies. Obviously, one of the big allergic diseases is asthma, and we have to do a lot of things with people with allergic asthma. But there are other allergies. You know, a lot of people are allergic to their pets, for example. We can be allergic to dust mites, the dust around us in the houses, or a lot of people have allergies to pollens and molds during the spring and the fall. And... Nowadays, we have a lot of really good ways to deal with these kind of diseases. So we have a lot of good medications. And one of the options we have is also the allergy shots, especially for certain kind of allergies. For example, for grass allergy, people that are allergic to grass in the spring, or for cat allergy, people that are allergic to their pets or their friend's pets. It's very effective. You know, the allergy shots can help you a lot, improve your condition and be able to actually live healthy life around these triggers around you. It's funny. I think almost everything you mentioned there, I'm allergic to, and I had to get in my shot. So um, it, 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 it's, it's helped a lot, though, which is great. So um, I know the it effect of this. Yeah. You know, allergies can help a lot, and allergy shots. And nowadays, we have a new option for shots where you actually have small pills that you put under your tongue. And we have what we call sublingual immunotherapy for certain things. That's also very effective. So there are a lot of things that if somebody has allergies, talking to your allergies, there are a lot of things that can be done. And the majority of the people can live a healthy and normal life and not even know they have allergies if they kind of take good care of them and use the appropriate medication or avoidance strategies or other things we have. What, I, I actually haven't heard of the pills. Are the pills mainly for um, things you ingest that you're allergic to or is it also no. for pollen and everything else? No, the pills are also for inhaled allergies. Okay. So we have pills for hostas mites. We have pills for certain pollens. And now we have also options today, mostly for kids, for allergies to foods. So actually a lot of allergies that see kids can desensitize the children to the food they are allergic to so they don't react when they, if they eat the food by mistake. And that's the main worry that parents have about their kids having food allergies. You know, the kid goes to school and borrows something from another kid to eat, and then they're exposed to something they're sensitive to. We have ways to deal with that also today. In that case, we actually have the children eat these foods, but in small amounts, and this way we can prevent reactions when they, if they have an inadvertent exposure. So that's also something that we have a lot of options these days. So again, Children, you know, you should try to see an allergist if you have your, your child has a food allergy. You know, an allergist can help a lot with these things. Awesome. That, yeah, that's definitely good information. So on to the next question. I noticed that one of your clinical interests is immunodeficiency. So I'm wondering how 
immunodeficiency actually ties into lung health and how it can affect patients? So immunodeficiency, as I was saying earlier, is that our immune system does not work well and does not protect us from infectious agents that are around us. And immunodeficiency could be a genetic cause, so kids that are born with problems like that, but also we can develop immunodeficiency secondary through other diseases, either from the disease itself or even sometimes from the therapy we give to patients to kind of improve another disease. Now, the certain kinds of immunodeficiency, especially those that are more common in adults, primarily present with infections of the mucosal surfaces, as we say. And mucosal surfaces are in the lungs, in our gut, the main areas. So lung infections are very common in these cases. And we have a lot of things these days that we can do also for these cases, either medications or even replacing what's missing from our blood and we cannot find infections, so then we are protected from infections. Awesome. Yeah, that's very interesting. So uh, now we'll move over to Dr. Forsyth. I'm sorry, I didn't even ask you a, a little introduction of yourself earlier. I just jumped right in with Dr. Vlegoftis. Um, but well, I'll move on to my first question with you, Dr. Forsyth. So um, getting to know about you a bit, I'm wondering if you can tell our listeners what you love to study and research and what you focus on at the Forsyth Lab. Uh, okay. So my, I think my big interest really in the in the broader sense is in the communication between the, the immune system and the nervous system and how those two systems act together to maintain health. Um, so quite often those systems are studied as separate entities. So you have immunologists and neuroscientists and they study those systems separately. Uh, but in reality, the systems um, communicate constantly and sort of coordinate their actions to um, maintain, you know, defense against external threats. So pathogens, things like that, and also to regulate inflammation. Um, and there's still a lot we don't know about how those interactions occur and how uh, breakdown or disruption of those interactions can contribute to disease. And that's really what we're interested in understanding more about those interactions and particularly how those um, interactions are influenced by um, changes in the local environment. So food we eat or the, the air that we breathe, um, how that then influences the, the nervous system and immune system cooperation, if you like, and then how that impacts health. So that's really where, where our focus is. And we look at, at different aspects of, of that. Awesome. That's really amazing. That what, one of the things we talk about the most is on the Unsung Lung podcast is just about the interconnectivity between not even just like bodily systems, but like social aspects as well. How how much how lung disease can affect those who are less in a in a lower social economic status, and that's that's going way off on a tangent. But um, I'm it's really interesting. So, in addition to studying lungs at your lab, I noticed that you also study the brain. So. I'm wondering, obviously, there's a connection between the brain and lungs, um, and I'm wondering what that connection is that you're particularly interested in, and do you, do you study the body parts independently ever, or you're always looking at that connection? We're we're principally interested in, in that connection, and you know, so there's a lot of connections between the lung and the brain. So, for example, you know, 
other than its obvious role in supplying oxygen for the body, the, the lungs is a sensory organ. It, it senses what's in, if you like, the inhaled environment, so the air that we breathe in, and communicates that to the brain, and then the brain can respond, changing breathing patterns or inducing cough as a, a sort of defense mechanism if there's something harmful in, in, in what we've breathed in. Um, but also the signals from the brain can influence the immune system in the lung and an immune defenses and then in uh, in return there's evidence that inflammation so for example in asthma uh, in the airways can actually influence brain function and potentially predispose to things like anxiety and, and depression um, and if you do have anxiety and depression and you're asthmatic your asthma uh, outcome disease outcomes of asthma tend to be worse. So there's this bi-directional communication there between lung inflammation and mood disorders. And we're sort of, we're interested in the mechanisms that were maybe underlying those, those connections. That's amazing. That's super interesting. So as sort of an ad lib question, I'm curious how you actually study the connection. Is it you take a small tissue sample of a lung and look at it under a microscope or what, what are the nuances that go into studying the lung brain connection? So there's, there's, I mean, there's different ways to look at it. You can look at, um, you know, those, the sort of cellular interactions that are involved in the pathway. So you take immune cells and, and ner nerve cells, for example, and look at communication between those cells, and you know that they're involved in communication between the gut brain. Um, you can also use sort of animal model systems where you can look at you know, stress effects on airway inflammation or airway inflammation on, on brain function and behavior in those more complete uh, model systems. And we, we do a lot of, of, of that work as well. So there are different ways to, to break it down. Um, and there's a lot to be discovered there. So there's, you know, um, a lot we don't know about the, the mechanisms connecting those. So we go, we go about it in different ways. Definitely. Do you ever do interviews with patients and see how they're feeling when they breathe something in? I know you can't give people noxious gases, but um, yeah. Do you ever yeah. do interviews? That's not that's not something that I've I've done in, certainly in the in the past. I'm a um, very basic mechanistic researcher. Um, don't often um, deal with um, with patients and 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 that kind of thing. So I'm very focused on mechanism. Um, I think you know we'll maybe get on to the study we're going to talk about, uh, but and you know that sort of thing is changing. And um, um, but um, right now. Up to this point, my my research has been mostly focused on understanding those biological mechanisms. Awesome, that's very cool. So, so you mentioned the study. We might as well get onto it right now, and I'll switch back to Dr. Vlegoftis for this one, and we'll discuss the new study between Alberta Lung and the two guests that we have on our show today. So, Dr. Vlegoftis, I'm wondering if you can give us just a very general overview of what this new vaping study is and what it is hoping to accomplish. Yeah, so I can start with some very general things, even a little, let's say, background or history, if you want, just briefly. I mean, as we said, myself and Dr. Forsyth and other people in our lab, we are interested in how, what uh, lung inflammation, so how lung, what happens in the lung when it doesn't work right, and how different noxious triggers or stimuli can affect the lung function. 
And obviously for years, smoking is one of those things that a lot of people have studied, have studied quite well. We know a lot of things about all the ill effects of smoking on the lung, even though we are not always as successful as we would like to be to actually convince people to stop doing something like that. But the biggest actually threat, I think, for the lung health, especially for young people these days, it's really vaping for many reasons. One, because it's gaining a lot in popularity recently, and it's the rates, especially in young adults, keep going up. Because it's a new thing, and we vape a lot of things that we really don't know what damage they can do. And because for some reason, to the general population, there is this idea that sometimes I think the medical establishment or the kind of uh, some other kind of people up there are responsible kind of getting the idea around that it is safer than smoking. And I think the main reason is that we don't know that it's safer than smoking. There's really not good reasons to believe that that is the case. And there is very little research so far to actually be able to describe exactly what's going on with this, what's the bad effects of vaping. So that's how we started about a couple of years ago with some initiatives that came through the Canadian Institutes for Health Research that gave quite a few grants across Canada to actually study the lung health and vaping. And we started working and see the acute and chronic effects of vaping directly in the lung, kind of more direct inflammatory effects in the lung. And we started with healthy individuals, well, young, healthy adults that vape. And we already found, even with the lit work that we have done, that Healthy people vaping a few times a week for like six months to a year, already we can see changes in their lungs and in their blood indicated that some inflammatory effect has already happened. So it's not a safe uh, thing to do, vaping. Now, the degree of the inflammation, the degree of problem, it's still kind of more to be identified, but we know there is a problem. And obviously, our idea after that was that we should also move towards understanding how it affects asthma, since we work a lot on asthma. We know a lot of things about asthma inflammation, and we have the expertise to put these two things together. So that's how we started. Dr. Forsyth will give you some of his interest in kind of this sensing mechanisms in the lungs and how that would be involved in the whole project. So... Our idea is to actually understand the inflammatory effects of vaping in the lung, and at the same time, start moving also a little bit towards the kind of research we were bringing up just a little earlier about really going into humans, interview humans, see the effects that happen in humans, hear from people that vape what they think the biggest problems are or what the biggest fears about vaping, and see if we can incorporate these things into our research down the road. Definitely, yeah. It, it it it's interesting that that you want to take the human aspect side of it. it, it it's really obviously important. I remember uh, I was working at a car dealership to put me through undergrad and afford my undergraduate degree, 
And uh, one of my friends at the dealership knew that I worked with Alberta Lung. And he came to me and he just asked for any resources I could provide him um, to help him quit vaping because it was just totally affecting his life. His his ability to breathe had gone so far down, he couldn't exercise as much as he could when he was younger. And I say younger, but this was a young guy as it was. He was like 26, 27 years old and his his whole life was changed by vaping. So obviously it's a big problem nowadays um, that that people like uh, the two doctors that we have on the show today are trying to figure out. So we'll switch back to Dr. Forsyth for this next question. Um, and I, I asked you earlier if you do some uh, human uh, like interactions, interview-based studies, um, and you don't in your lab. But for this upcoming study, I, it sounds like you will be. So would it be correct to call this a qualitative study rather than a quantitative one, or as you mentioned, like basic mechanisms of of science, and and obviously it's interview based. So I'll let you get into what how the the study will be formatted. Okay, so I would I would say this is very definitely a, a quantitative study, but it's going to be guided and informed by qualitative data that will uh, that will come from from interviews. So. We're really interested in in exp, you know exposing people uh, or studying the effect of exposing people and also um, some cell models that I can talk about to vape and seeing the quantitative response of the airway inflammation that's going on in the lungs of those people or what's going on in specific lung cells um, when they're exposed to vape, but. Oh, you know, how we go about that and how we expose them and exactly what we expose them to um, and specific aspects of what we look like will be informed by, you know, vaping habits of asthmatics, for example, or their health concerns. So we'll tailor exactly what we're looking at in a, in a quantitative way based on the, the, the qualitative information we, we have from those interviews. So it's sort of research guided by, the demands and also the, you know, if you want the use patterns of vaping coming from people who actually vape. Are, are you and Dr. Vliagoptis creating uh, like a kind of questionnaire or a scale to use with each interview, or is it more informally based um, from each person you interview? Um, I think um, initially there, you know, there will be a, a questionnaire, but it's it generally um going to be sort of informal you know what are people's concerns and what are their their general vaping habits you know we talk about different flavors of vape and you know there may be concern over what are popular flavors how how often do people vape you know how many puffs are they taking that kind of thing will really inform how we're going to to put this into our into our research awesome yeah that's super interesting um this might be well I don't know if I want to ask this question now because I have a question about other conditions um, later on in in the show, but may, I, I might as well get like a little preview for that. Do do you know of any cases of uh, asthma induced by vaping? Like someone didn't have asthma before and then they do afterwards, or is it just way too early on in the in what we know about vaping to to d- determine that? I think this might be a better question for for Harry. I think here. Sure. So. I can see. You know. I mean, there is 
there is not a lot of very good and very detailed data about the uh, epidemic, even about the epidemiology of vaping to some extent. I would say we have rates and uh, frequency maybe, but there are quite a number of uh, studies that show that the rates of asthma is much higher in among people that vape than among people that don't vape. So if you recruit a thousand people that vape and you try to recruit a thousand people of the same kind of uh, characteristics, so equal rates of sex, equal rates of AIDS, and all these things, the cohort that comes from the vapors has higher rates of asthma than the other one. Now, it's still a little early, I think, in this research area, and there is not good data whether actually vaping is the one that brought on asthma. One of the hypotheses is that the rates of asthma might not be very different, but if you are vaping, you are much more symptomatic with your asthma. So you know you have asthma, you are diagnosed more with asthma and things like that. And that's the main difference. So it's affecting, you know, how easy you can control your asthma and not affecting how likely it is to develop asthma. Although we don't know that. It's still the studies indicate that it's a possibility that might even induce asthma. If we go by what we know from smoking, the biggest problem with smoking was not really in kind of inducing asthma in people, but it was inducing in COPD. And it's very likely that vaping could do something similar. It's just also the problem there is that COPD takes years to develop, 20, 30, 40 years to develop it. And we really don't have 30-year history of vaping yet out there to know what would be the long-term effect. So I think that, you know, 20 years from now, we'll know a lot of things and it might be too late to do something about it. So we might have to do something early now, even before we know the full extent of the problem of vaping, because if people start developing COPD from vaping, I'm not sure how easy it is to reverse this trend. And we know that COPD, we have fairly good ways to help people, but we cannot cure COPD these days. I don't think when it comes from smoking. So I think it definitely affects, I mean, I again, I mean, it, I think it increases the rate of asthma. It makes it more likely to get asthma, but we still need a lot of data to say some of these things for certain. Definitely, yeah. And and this question kind of ties into that. It's It's a little bit different, but it's also the same. So obviously, I would imagine that vaping is not good for anyone, including and especially those with asthma. So is the study more so going to look at how bad vaping is for asthma rather than just saying that it is bad? That That's obviously an overgeneralization, but um, what, what, what's the, what are the metrics that you're looking for in the study? I think it's a little both kind of thing. I mean, you know, we have, we would recruit people that have asthma and vape and we'll see their effects of vaping on their asthma. But we'll have also some healthy otherwise, you know, with no lung disease individuals that would help, and we'll see the effects also in non-asthmatics of vaping, and we'll see whether the effect is increased, you know, it's more pronounced in people with asthma or not. So we'll, I think we'll get information about all these aspects of your question. But, you know, I mean, the question we started kind of thinking about starting addressing was to see really the inflammatory effect, how the inflammation we have in asthma that causes a lot of our symptoms 
might interact with inflammation that we get from vaping that can cause the symptoms of vaping and whether the two together, not only they have additive effects, but actually they have what we call synergistic effects. So if vaping affects you 10% and asthma 10%, the two together might affect you 50 or 60% kind of thing to put it kind of simply that it might be more pronounced the effect of having both triggers at the same time. Right. That makes sense. It's sort of an exponential thing. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's great to know. Really interesting. Um, so we'll throw it back to Dr. Forsyth on this question. Um, so in Saskatchewan, I believe this was in 2021, the province banned the sale of vape flavors with the exception of things like tobacco and mint and menthol. Um, and these were banned anywhere, but in specialty vape stores. So you can go to a 7-Eleven or, or a corner store and buy vapes. So would you like to see Alberta adopt a similar prohibition on vaping? I know that this is more of a social question than a scientific question, but I'm curious what your what your take is on that. Yeah, I mean, personally, I think the you know, regardless of what companies might say, or I think the fruit flavors are targeting younger people or appealing to younger people, um, and you know, we really don't want to make vaping appealing. Um, and certainly not to to younger people who, you know, haven't smoked or you're going to take up vaping um, straight off. And so I think it, it makes sense to uh, restrict those kind of um, flavors that might appeal to them to somewhere where you can control, you know, the that it's only going to be distributed to adults and have more control rather than like you say in 7-eleven or something like that so i think it it does make sense to restrict those those flavors i think it would be a good idea yeah that was one of lung sask's biggest um targets or or uh, the, the the thing that they stood on the most in that campaign was that these flavors are specifically targeting kids like when you have cotton candy that's not designed for a 45 year old 45 year old adult who's trying to quit smoking it's designed for someone else so yeah uh, exactly yeah uh yeah. i'm more so no, i think that's pretty clear and yeah yeah uh, a, a more scientific question for you dr forsyth um we spoke about how vaping uh, leads to inflammation, and I believe I, I believe asthma obviously is really clo tied closely to inflammation. So, but we never explained why it's so dangerous. So, why is inflammation in the lungs dangerous for people with asthma and without? So, I think it, it really um, inflammation can really lead to uh, damage to the airway, loss of of lung function, um, which is really what you know, the, the major concern. So, um, um, and, you know, the inflammation in, in asthmatics leads to the airway, uh, you know, airway constriction and difficulty breathing and all the kind of symptoms associated with, with asthma. So I think, um, you know, and, you can also, along with inflammation, get um, it's sort of what's termed remodeling of the airway. So, you know, sort of more permanent damage to lung function through inflammation. So even if you're not asthmatic and, you know, um, you have things, as Harry mentioned, like COPD, which are long-term deterioration in, in, in uh, lung function associated with inflammation. So general inflammation, um, uncontrolled inflammation is what we're talking about here. Or chronic inflammation is, is not a good a good thing to have in in the lungs 
Definitely. Yeah, makes sense. So we'll, we'll throw it back to Dr. Vlegoftis for a last question for him. Um, and as far as I know, we uh, and we've obviously spoken about this uh, before, but we are very early in learning about the negative effects of vaping on the lungs. So one of the conditions that we do know that occurs is popcorn lung. But are there any others? I know we spoke about does can you can you induce asthma by vaping? But are there any conditions that you're aware of um, other than inflammation and popcorn lung stuff, uh, things like that? I mean, popcorn lung was a kind of an extreme case of severe acute uh, effects on the lung, and we have some idea these days about what was the the cause even of certain of these additive and some of these things that were in the vaping uh, juices that people use when they vape. <clears throat> and But I think the main, the more general problem, I mean, this is an extreme condition that has even high mortality and it's a very bad thing for whoever happens, but the rates of developing this is fairly, it's very low. So, uh, now, the chronic inflammation that all this, inhalation of these uh, chemicals induces is something that happens in everyone. I mean, the effects of this could vary depending on how susceptible a certain individual is to that, but there is nobody that's not affected for that. The same way that we know there is nobody that's not affected by smoking. There are some people that develop COPD and there are some people that don't, but even those, their lungs are not normal. The lungs have some effect. They are just more resilient to the effect of smoking and so I think that's the main thing. It's this chronic inflammation that it's always there. And then depending on our genetic background or other diseases we have, other history we have in our life, then this can interact with something else that was to present in our, lung, in our lungs and make the effects even worse. It's the same thing. I mean, just vaping probably will not make you develop asthma. It will cause other problems. But if you have also the tendency to develop asthma, you know, from and a lot of this stuff are genetic causes that you develop asthma, then vaping also at the same time will make that disease possibly worse. So these are the ideas that we try to clarify with our research to understand, and not just our research, a lot of people these days are working on these questions to understand how these interactions happen and be able to convince people after that that really vaping is bad for you because of all these reasons. And it has to be kind of, prevented from. Now, talking about what we were talking with Paul before about these uh, um, uh, flavorings, I mean, obviously, it's a bad thing that they definitely target young people that start vaping just for these flavors. But also, it is really something that was never inhaled. You know, it's really untested compounds that we allow people to vape. We allow people to inhale things that never tested that are safe to inhale. We know they can do a lot of things. We know that there is a lot of effects on this stuff. And, you know, if we have time, Paul can even give you some ideas about some of these things. And it's part of what we are looking into, how some of these flavoring compounds could actually activate specific pathways in our lungs and cause the problem that we see down the road. Yeah, please do, Dr. Forsyth. I'd love to hear about the some things about the flavoring. Yeah, so we're yeah, so we're interested in or you know, my focus is on the mechanisms of how vape is is impacting the lung and impacting lung inflammation. 
Um, and we're particularly interested in a, a specialized cell that's in the lining of the lung, so in the lung epithelial layer, uh, called the pulmonary neuroendocrine cell. And it's a sensory cell, essentially. And it contains receptors for lots of compounds. Um, and it actually has sort of types of olfactory receptors. So they, they, they respond to a range of volatile compounds. And a lot of these volatile compounds are also used in flavoring. So we think these cells are very likely to respond to certain compounds in the flavors used in, in vape fluid. Um, and, you know, different flavors may have different, are going to activate different receptors and perhaps activate the cells more than others. And there's so many flavors out there, you know, it's almost impossible to, to test them all. But as, as Harry said, people are being allowed to happily, you know, inhale these things, uh, what they do. So we're really interested in, in how um, vape exposure influences the function of this particular uh, specialized sensory cell, because we think it's probably one of the key cells in, in responding to the inhaled environment. And we know it has the ability to respond to the volatile chemicals that are there in, in these flavors. Um, and, and so, you know, that's part of the reason why through interviews, it would be good to get an idea of what the popular flavors are. And then at least then we can start out testing these things that we know people are, are actually inhaling, but we have no idea what they're, what they're actually doing to lung function. So, yeah, that's where, where we're, why we have this interest in, in the flavors. Really interesting. And, and one thing we didn't touch on, I'm not sure if you would want to touch on this, Dr. Forsyth or Dr. Viagoptis, but um, I'll, I'll ask you specifically, uh, we talked about the flavors and things of that nature, but the actual impact of inhaling something that is combustible, I, I think like that that's dangerous as it is. So are you studying the effects of that and and breathing in something that is, I don't know, is vaping steam? What What, what is it classified as? Yeah, so it, we're interested really, actually, that's what we're, we're also interested in just breaking down um, the vape chemically and seeing exactly what's in there um, and then figuring out the effect of the different components that are in there on the the lung. So we, you know, uh, we'll do that in a sort of more a model system so we can build a model of the lung lining that contains these sensory cells that, that we want to study. Um, and then use that to expose it to lots of the different uh, components that are in in the vape. Um, and like you say, you know, the, with the coil in vapes, there are you know heavy metals and things like that that come from the coil, depending on, on how long the coil's been used. So there are a lot. There, I mean, this is the thing. There's so many variables that come with with vaping and vape exposure, um, and yet. We we happily let people do it with no understanding of how any of these components are um, affecting the lung just individually, and then when you start putting them all together, so that's really what we what we want to do when we're studying sort of the mechanistic aspect of of what's going going on. Awesome, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we we, we talked about the basics of the study, and as you mentioned, the mechanistic parts. 
I'm hoping as a final question for you, Dr. Forsyth, we can take kind of a step back and look at it from a macro view and uh, an overview. So I'm wondering what you and Dr. Vlegoftis hope to learn from the study generally and how that will benefit lung health community in Alberta and obviously across the country and the world with whatever results come out of the study. Yeah. So I think the fact that there's so we know so little about the impact of VIP on on the lungs and what's you know what's going on in the lungs when when they're exposed to vape that you know we want to gain that knowledge and then you know if we make that knowledge available to the, the community then at the you know the very basic level they can make an informed decision you know this is these are the facts of what's going on in your lung when you vape and you can now make an informed decision on on whether to vape or not but also you know, hopefully this will then help influence um, health policy and things like availability of flavors. And if we can identify uh, particular components that are particularly uh, problematic, um, then that would be good as well. And, you know, may shape, you know, how the composition of vape fluid in, in future or what's actually allowed in, in vape and things like that. But I think it's really, we know so little that, you know, we just want to start building up that knowledge base of of what's going on in the lungs when you're when you're exposed to vape and letting people know about that. So you can, you know, decisions are made that are fact based, essentially. Definitely amazing. So uh, before we sign off for the day, I want to give you an opportunity, Doctor Vlegoftis, if you had any uh, last minute thoughts for for our listeners, anything you took away from uh, what Doctor Forsyth just said. Um, I don't, I don't want to just cut you off. Uh, any Anything, any last minute uh, comments? I think the important thing is, you know, what we were talking about, uh, actually understand what vaping does. I mean, this, trying to ban things, we know that it doesn't always work well. I mean, I think the most effective way is to understand what's the damage, what is the problem that can cause, and try to inform people well and help them make a decision that will be good for them. Especially when we talk for adults. I mean, it might be a little different about all these issues with uh, young young adults or even more with kids that some of these pro- things are marketed towards where the approach there might be different and we need some public health almost approaches there. But I think, you know, understanding this and, and I think things like podcasts like this one or any way of, informing the general public about the results is very important. And as scientists, we haven't always done a very good job informing people that use this knowledge. I mean, we decide, we do all these things, we discuss it with each other, we keep moving on. But some things that could have been useful to help people decide what to do stay in our offices and in our journals. So we hope with the Lung Association, we can also deal a little better with that aspects of this work. Actually bring some of this information to the general public, bring it to the people that have to decide whether they really don't want to vape, as I hope they will decide, or they want to vape, as it's everybody's, I guess, choice. Definitely, yeah. It's it's funny how some of the the things that are most important in this world, like research done in medical journals are put behind a paywall and the general public 
can't either afford it or they just don't have access to it. So uh, it, it's great that we're able to to get studies like this out on into people's ears and stuff that people can read. And yeah, it's amazing. So that was such an insightful conversation with both of you. And I'm glad we had the opportunity to shed light on vaping again and hopefully show more people that, like you said, Dr. Vliagoffis, it's just better not to start um if you obviously if you need it to help you quit smoking that's a different story but if you haven't started just don't that's that's what we uh that's what we would like to see from people at alberta lung so again thanks to both of you for being on the show today um i'm curious dr vlegoftis what's the plan for the rest of the day in greece <laughs> uh, not much it's almost evening here so you know now it's time to arrange with some friends to go out that's it amazing <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what about you, Dr. Forsyth? Any any research going on today in, in the lab? Yeah, there's always research going on. So uh, just the usual day. Um, yeah, nothing as exciting as being in Greece. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> just about to start the day. Perfect. Amazing. Well, with that, I'll just send us right through to our outro. That was such a great show with Dr. Forsyth and Dr. Vlaikoftis. We don't always get the opportunity to interview two knowledgeable physicians, so I am very grateful that they sat down with us to talk all things inflammation and asthma and vaping and just everything we got to talk about. As I always do before we wrap up the show, I'll leave you with my final three concluding thoughts from the interview. If you are new to the show, these are just general takeaways that I think sum up the episode nicely. First, I thought that it was so interesting how Dr. Forsyth is studying the interconnectivity between the brain and the lungs and how our lungs can, in one way, be thought of as just a big sensor. When we breathe in something noxious or harmful, our lungs communicate to our brain to cough, and this coughing is sort of an innate response to try and help our lungs get rid of whatever is in them that isn't supposed to be. And this topic obviously goes back to the general topic that we've discussed over the years on the show about how every body system is connected in some way. So everything from something as intricate as the brain, I'm not saying that the lungs aren't as intricate as the brain, but I mean, I think we can agree that the brain is incredibly intricate so just the, the interconnectivity between the two systems is honestly so amazing and how how it's almost instantaneous the second you breathe something in that you don't like whether it smells bad or it's actually noxious it, instantaneous cough that's just how fast our nervous system works with our brain and it's something that i've always been interested in Secondly, I thought that it was very intuitive that Dr. Vlegoftis pointed out how little we actually know about vaping and how bad it is for our lungs. He pointed to the fact that we've studied smoking for years and that's why we know how bad it is, but we don't have the same research behind vaping. Who's to say if vaping could lead to COPD 40 years from now because we haven't had anyone vape for that long yet. It's, it's a new, I don't want to call it a technology, but I guess it is. It's a new a new fad if you want to go that way so when smoking was popular cigarette companies actually advertised to mothers saying that it would decrease their baby's birth weight and lead to an easier birth think of how far we've come since then if we could do that as a society 
offer or advertise cigarettes to pregnant mothers. Think of how bad vaping could be. We just don't have the data to prove it yet. So, and I know the the advertising uh, cigarettes to mothers fact from our uh, Breathe Smart session that we do, um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, where we educate uh, students. Often when we show students this advertisement of uh, when, when a company, a cigarette company, advertising cigarettes to mothers and saying that'll increase birth weight and it will relax you and things of that nature, kids are just flabbergasted because they know how bad smoking is for them. But unfortunately, we don't know how bad vaping is yet. So it's just incremental little steps that we have to take towards figuring out just how bad this new smoking, if you want to call it vaping, is. And we'll get there. Uh, We certainly will. And it's doctors like uh, Dr. Forsyth and Dr. Vlegoftis that are helping us achieve our goal of studying vaping and uncovering the dangers behind it. Finally, one thing that I definitely learned was that there could be different negative effects on the lungs based on different flavoring compounds in vapes. I didn't know that the different flavors could activate or negatively affect different airways in the lungs. That's so interesting. And it's incredibly interesting that Dr. Forsyth and Dr. Leagoftis will be using the qualitative data they collect about what flavors the people in their study prefer and they'll be able to differentiate the effects on the lungs of each individual flavor. So just for example, I'm I'm, I'm speaking off the top of my head here, but if the majority of people like mint and let's say tropical punch and mango, they like these flavors the most, they'll put more effort into studying these flavors in, in their research so that they can see if there's actually a difference in, if you want to call it dangerousness, for each flavor compound. So we're getting so specific here that it's not only just obviously as I mentioned in the show it's not the question isn't is vaping bad. I think we can assume that inhaling anything other than fresh clean air isn't great for your lungs to start with. So that's not the question. The question is how do people vape like what are the what are the vaping tendencies? What flavors do they like the the best? how dangerous are the flavors compared to other ones. So it's a really specific research study and I'm excited to see the results. Okay, well, that'll wrap up this episode. Thanks again for downloading and listening to our show. We couldn't keep going if we didn't have listeners like you. So please keep listening and even share the show with your friends and family to help spread the word about lung health. I'll leave you in this first episode of 2024 with our motto, As always, just remember to breathe.